Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. All right, I'm back from my little break, and we're heading right back into the hard stuff, or at least how we can start getting it checked off our to-do list. Today, we're going to be looking at some more ways that we can adjust our mindset around doing hard things and also looking at some of the reasons we might be choosing to do certain hard things. Then we'll finish up this series by digging into a few more concrete things that you can do so that you can tackle those hard things. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com slash hardthingspart3. All right. Keep on listening to find out which hard things you're going to get to this week. I've often thought to myself how nice it would be to be able to skip the hard parts of some things, to just arrive at my goals. But unfortunately, there are some problems with this idea. Let's imagine that I went away for the weekend and I had somehow come back to my house completely clean and everything organized. This honestly would be very fantastic. I'm definitely on board for this idea. But I do wonder, how long would this state of immaculate cleanliness last? And I want to be clear here that I understand that a lived-in house develops mess. You never escape cleaning indefinitely. But what I'm talking about is how long until my built-in habits reduce the organization of that house into a clutter catastrophe again, where again I'm looking for that magic event to make the house clean again. Because while the end result is an important piece here, it's also important how we get there. If I want to have a more organized house in the long run, I have to work on developing the habits that are going to naturally lead to that outcome. On the other hand, I don't want to write off the easy path as only being a bad thing. Remember, we can do hard things, but and this is a big but, we don't have to do them in the hardest way possible. While just having an already clean house would be great, it could also be paired with working on those habits that would help me keep it clean. What's important to grasp from this is that either way, I still have to do the hard work of developing those habits. Another easy example here is something like dieting. The reason that a shocking amount of dieting does not work is because many people view it as a short-term intervention and not a changing of habits. Sure, I could do the whole 30, and I have, but unless I'm adopting that as my new lifestyle, then I'm quickly going to end up back where I was as I pick up my old bad habits. Part of the reward is the hard work itself. I know that doesn't sound like the best incentive, but of course, it does get easier the more you do it. And there is also a certain satisfaction with completing something hard. One place this comes up for me is when I'm doing a workout, especially when I'm doing a hard one. It may not feel great the entire time I'm doing it, but when I'm done, I usually feel pretty good. And workouts also illustrate this idea of having to work where you want to be extremely well. Imagine you wanted to be able to bench press 200 pounds. And then I magic wand your muscles and voila, you can bench press 200 pounds. But I'm not the best wizard, so your muscles aren't going to stay that way unless you maintain them. And since I'm not at a place where I'm already maintaining those habits, I'm going to have to start suddenly making them happen. Because the truth is, the goal isn't the hard part. It's the habits and routines you have to develop to get there that are the hard part. 
Building off this idea as well, I've also been thinking a lot about goal setting with the new year upon us. I'm going to borrow some ideas from the Lorax here as I wander through these thoughts. Many of our goals often revolve around how we can bigger and bigger ourselves. But the question I ask myself far too infrequently is, how can I make this more sustainable for myself? And I'm shocked that I don't ask that question more often. This feels like it should be an obvious goal-setting question. But too often we're more focused on the biggering and biggering. And I think this is a key piece of our burnout because we're not asking about that sustainability piece. It's incredibly easy for me to look at 2022 and ask how I want to grow the podcast. But it's an entirely different idea to ask how I can make making the podcast easier and more sustainable to do. Not how can I make more episodes or even how I can make better episodes. But how can I make the same number of episodes but with less effort on my part? How can I follow through on my commitments even when I'm at low capacity? What can I do to refine my habits? These aren't the easiest questions to answer, and I'm certainly still working on them, but they're absolutely worth asking. With ADHD, we're often more interested in the novelty of new instead of how to make something sustainable. With ADHD, we tend to gravitate towards routines once we find something that works, but we also tire of those routines when they don't offer enough novelty. It's also funny because I'll often stress myself out when I'm starting something new because I don't know how I'm going to maintain it for literally the rest of my life. And yet I don't think I have any routines or habits that have lasted more than a few months without heavy tweaking or completely being changed, and certainly no habits that have lasted my entire life. But here's a fun idea. We can keep novelty in our routines by keeping a core routine where we just switch parts out. Think of it kind of like seasonality of our routines, with planned changes. I wear clothes year-round, as I expect many of you do as well, but I wear different clothes depending on the seasons. We can think of our habits and routines in a similar way, where once the weather starts changing, so does my daily routine. Okay, this series has been entitled, How to Do Hard Things. So there really should be more how-to in here, right? We've covered what hard things are and that they aren't always what we expect them to be. We know that we can theoretically do hard things, although, of course, we do love to argue that point sometimes. And history has shown us that, in fact, we've done at least a few hard things in the past. Don't argue with me on this one. Go back and listen to part two again if you need to. But what about the nitty-gritty of how do we get ourselves to do these hard things? First, let's reframe that idea. As I've mentioned earlier in this series, there is inherent reward in doing hard things. So if we can reframe having to make ourselves do these hard things into we get to do these hard things, it's going to make an impact. Of course, I understand that things that suck are still going to suck. I'm not going to tell you that paying a parking ticket you have to pay is something that you need to be grateful for. Yes, we could go through the process of being grateful that you have a car or that you can think about what you learned from the situation. That's fine. But it's also okay to be pissed off that you have to pay for that ticket. It's okay that you don't want to do it. What we can do, though, is still embrace that I get to do this thing, and when I do it, I get to go on to the next thing that I want to do. And then we have those hard things that we can really look to through the lens of gratitude. And this can still even be for those things that we don't necessarily want to do, but are still pushing us toward our goals. I get to write that essay. It's just a stepping stone on my way to graduation. I get to wash the dishes because that's part of the process of having a clean house. And it goes on and on with what we get to do. 
So why bother with this? Is it just semantics? Well, yes, but semantics matter, especially when it involves our self-talk. One of the frustratingly hilarious parts of ADHD is how we can really resent when people tell us what to do. Perhaps I was getting up to do the dishes, but then my wife asked me to do it while I'm walking to the sink. Well, now I don't want to do them. What? Brain? That is not okay. But wait, it gets better. Because we can also feel this way when we have things that we have to do. Because it's not the words, it's the sense of obligation. It's our disconnection from our autonomy. So if I say I have to clean the garage, well, that doesn't feel good. But if I get to clean the garage, that feels better. And if I can take it a little further, I get to clean the garage, and I bet I'm going to find some cool stuff that I've forgotten about. Well, that's even better. Wow, I actually kind of want to go clean the garage and look for some of this stuff now. This has been way more of a dopamine driver than I expected. Again, I want to be clear. We don't have to do this for everything. I like looking for silver linings, but the implication of a silver lining is that something bad is going to happen first. And while we can do these hard things, I just want to re-emphasize that we don't have to do them in the hardest way possible. Part of what makes certain things hard is that I'm trying to do them as if I were neurotypical. This is not a winning strategy. And yet, for so many things, I have trouble breaking away from those patterns. Part of this comes from me just not realizing that, hey, maybe there's a better way for my brain to do this. But sometimes it also comes from me trying to prove that I can do things just like neurotypicals would. Writing that feels foolish, but I know there is a part of me that believes that if I just try harder, that I can make myself do whatever I want. And as we've already discussed in previous episodes, we don't need to try harder, we just need to try better for our brains. This mindset is incredibly important for us to develop. Because while we can know that doing hard things can be rewarding, we often don't see these rewards right away. Increasing how much we exercise is a great way to help our energy levels throughout the day. But we're not going to see that result after our first trip to the gym. Perhaps we want to start running, and that first run, well, it's hard. It doesn't feel good. And the second one isn't much better. But at least we've got an idea of what it's going to feel like. And we're going to have to keep doing that as it gets easier and easier. But it's going to take time. I did my first hard workout in a while at the beginning of this year. And I had that delayed onset muscle soreness for three days. That's not a recipe for encouraging myself to get back into the gym right away. Although I do kind of enjoy the aspect of being sore from a sensory-seeking kind of way. But three days was still a bit much. This changing of mindset has been entirely what this series has been about so far because it's really that important. Our attitude towards doing hard things is the biggest indicator of whether or not we're going to even attempt to do them. When we think a task is simply beyond us, we often don't bother starting. Because why would we? So shifting our mindset becomes one of the most important aspects of doing hard things. With that in mind, we can get to a task or project with the right mindset and still find it hard to approach. And this is where we can get into the nitty-gritty of doing hard things. The first thing to do for any hard project is to start by breaking it down into its component steps. The smaller the steps we can break it down into, the better. Although eventually there are diminishing returns here. I could theoretically break down writing this episode into one letter at a time. That's probably not that useful. But perhaps just starting with a sentence or an idea could be helpful. From these component parts, we can then find where we think the hardest part is going to be. And it's okay if we're not right, but we'll start there. 
it's important to think about what makes it hard. Is it going to be the longest part, or maybe it's the most technical? Perhaps it's the part that you have the least experience with, or the part that you have the biggest emotional attachment to. For me, one place that I often have the hardest problems is when I don't know what to do, or how to do it. Fortunately, that's often a very easy problem for us to solve. We just need to do a little research. There are plenty of resources out there to help us learn how to do things, from books to YouTube to friends and family to just Googling the thing. But what can be more paralyzing here than not knowing what to do is not knowing how it's going to turn out. Perfectionism is a common problem for people with ADHD. I even did an entire episode on it. Episode 48, Give Yourself Some Slack, Perfectly Imperfect. You may have noticed it was in a recent rebroadcast, maybe even during the middle of this series when I was on break. Fancy that, huh? But if you haven't heard it yet, the basic gist is that when we're engaged in perfectionism, we're setting unreasonable standards upon ourselves. Standards that no one could ever meet. And I understand, this isn't something where we hear this and say, oh, well in that case, I just won't do it. Perfectionism is a coping mechanism that we develop to try and protect ourselves from criticism. So it is going to take a lot of work to overcome, but it's definitely something worth overcoming. But getting started isn't the only place that we can have trouble doing something hard. Often hard things are more than just doing something once. While running a marathon is a hard thing, I'd argue the training for that marathon is going to be the harder part. It's getting up and doing it again and again and again. That's going to be the hard part. With ADHD, it can be especially hard to stick with something as the allure of our initial goals dampen, and we start thinking about those shiny new goals. Two keys here are making sure that you know the why behind your goal and then having some kind of accountability. When we're not connected to any reason for doing something, it's easy for us to give it up. So it's important that when we're starting, we figure out why we really want to do it. There could be countless reasons that you want to run a marathon, from improving your fitness to bragging to your friends. The point is, it's important to know why you want to do it before you start your training and to write down your reasons in a place that you can see it regularly. While it might feel like you'd never forget the reason when you started, just remember you have ADHD and all the other important things that we have thought we'd never forget. Additionally, having someone to support you through this process is important as well. For something like a marathon, having a running buddy will absolutely help keep you on track. But you could just as easily have someone checking in with you. Accountability is a great way to help keep yourself on track and is an essential part of my process when I'm trying to take on hard things. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. Before you go, though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. One, part of the reward of doing hard things is actually doing the hard things. Now, I know this may seem a little glib, but when we're building up our habits and routines, the only way we actually build them up is by doing the hard parts. We can't skip to the end and expect to have picked up the habits needed to maintain those goals. Two, we can reshape our mindset around the things that we have to do. We often rebel against the have-tos, and so changing our mindset into things that we get to do can have a profound impact on how we approach doing those tasks. Three, Two of the best ways to get through doing hard things is to know your why behind what you're doing and then having some accountability to help you with that follow-through. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. 
you can leave me a message over at hackingyouradhd.com slash contact. You can also reach me on Twitter at hackingyouradhd, and I've also just launched a TikTok channel that you can find by searching for Hacking Your ADHD. If you'd like links or to read this episode's transcript, you can find those on the show notes page at hackingyouradhd.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the best way is to share episodes with someone you think would get something out of it. Just click the share button on your podcast player and send your bestie the link with something like, hey, I love this episode of Hacking Your ADHD. I'd bet you'd get a lot out of it too. Or you can support the show through my Patreon at hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon. Sign up for the 2 5 10 25 or even $50 a month level and get some great perks like monthly bonus content or early access to upcoming episodes. That's hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon. And be sure to check out all the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out Eric Tibber's show, ADHD Rewired. For those of you with kids, be sure to check out Brendan Mahan's show, ADHD Essentials. And even if you don't have kids, his show is still a great resource for ADHD management. If you're interested in exploring issues of race and diversity in ADHD, be sure to check out ADHD Diversified with MJ. For those of you late-diagnosed women, moms, and professionals, you can also check out the ADHD-friendly lifestyle with Moira Maben. I also do a live Q&A with all the hosts of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network on the second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to sign up, just go to ADHDrewired.com slash events. And now for your moment of dad. Last night, my son kept getting up to get new straws for his water cup. It was fine with one or two, but eventually I had to put my foot down and tell him that was the last straw.